You may be seated. My name is Paul Joyner. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here. Um, If you want a little bit more information about our church, you can fill out one of those visitor's cards in the pew racks in front of you and just drop that in the offering plate, which is in the back um, or up here um, in the front. We're in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. We regularly work through books of the Bible um, as our preaching agenda, letting God through his word set his agenda for us. Um, and so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for our second week here. If you're new to the Bible, maybe you're unfamiliar with it, just checking out the church and Jesus. Uh, we've printed the text for you in the worship guide. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you and take it home with you. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians actually starting at chapter 12, verse 31, reading all the way through the end of chapter 13. This is God's word. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, But have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with The truth, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child... I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's ask the Lord his blessing on his word preached. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, we are gathered before your throne with the saints who have gone before us and the heavenly host who are singing worthy is the Lamb who is praised. They see fully. We just see in a mirror dimly. But we want to taste and see just a little bit more 
of your goodness and your grace and your love. You know us fully now. You don't shy away from us. You know us fully now. You don't withdraw from us, but draw near to the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. And so we would pray, draw near to us by your spirit and through your word and do a work in us. Maybe some for the first time coming to taste the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But all of us need to drink from the fountain of his love today. And so God, come and speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is our second week in this passage. We're going to zoom in on, really, on verses 7 and 8 today. We said last week that this, if if you're familiar, if you're not a Christian, you may be familiar even with this text. It's often read at weddings. It's not where Paul drops it in. This isn't a passage for wedding parties, but a passage for the community of God's people who've been formed by the love of God in Christ To show us what is the pinnacle of God's saving work. Creating a community who love each other. But love, if we're honest, is an incredibly difficult thing. Everyone gets married because they are in love. And believes love conquers all. Yet around 50% of marriages in the United States end in divorce. In 1967, the Beatles launched their mega hit, All You Need Is Love. Love is all you need. It became the anthem of the summer of love. And yet within two years, they recorded their last album together. Within three years, they were suing each other. Love may conquer all, but love that conquers all is very difficult to achieve. Love that conquers all can't be rooted in any of us, in any of our own hearts. There's no fountain within us that will flow out the kind of love that does conquer all. It won't flow out of the person sitting next to you or anybody else in this room. It won't flow out of your beloved spouse. It won't flow out of if you're dating the one that you think this might be the one. Their love will satisfy all my needs and meet all of my desires. The kind of love that conquers all, that hopes all things, believes all things, bears all things, cannot be rooted in any of us because for love to conquer love has to work it has to be more than just an emotion a feeling of good from within us that flows out and does good to others love is a verb and all these ways that Paul speaks of love starting with verse 4 all have uh, we have trouble translating it into English because it's an awkward translation in the original but they're all verbs love is patient Maybe you can even say love is patienting. It's doing something. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It believes all things, hopes all things, bears all things, endures all things. It does. That's what love is. Love does things for the sake of another. It, it is concerned primarily with those outside of themselves. If you're visiting with us, I hope you caught one of our one of our core our core values when choosing our songs, right? One of our core values is that we are not primarily singing about what is going on inside of us, but what is going outside on outside of us in the saving work of God 
through Jesus Christ. We sing about Jesus because love that conquers all things has to be rooted in Him. Because it does things. It does things for the sake of others. And here's where God is taking us here in his definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. He's sort of pulling our own hearts out and saying, look, motive matters. Why you do what you do matters tremendously. Now, this should be obvious to us. You can take a good thing and with the wrong motives, turn it into an awful thing, children You've probably noticed this. You've probably done this. You're playing with a toy. It's a great thing. You're enjoying it. Your brother or sister does something that you don't like. You get angry and you take that good thing and you hit your brother or sister with it. It can become a dangerous thing. A good thing can become a dangerous thing when a heart that is full of selfishness grabs hold of it. The ability to speak in tongues. This is Paul's point in verse One, the ability to speak in tongues can become an annoying, deafening sound that shatters our peace if it's not done in love. The ability to move mountains does nothing if it doesn't come out of a heart that is concerned about serving others. It does not matter what you are able to do if it does not arise out of a desire to put yourself in service to others, then they are dangerously awful things. Verse 1 through 3, this really creates a scene of chaos without love. If I can speak in tongues, I have noisy gongs or clanging cymbals. It's not born out of love. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and I don't have faith as to move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Good things, not born out of heart, that is concerned with the well-being of another. It's not love. And within any tool that God gives his people can become an utterly destructive thing. Here's the heart of the gospel. Your heart, my heart, can only be transformed into a heart that works out of the motive of love for others if it first has grasped and then filled with the love that God has for his people. Let's camp out on verse 7 for a bit. We're going to kind of do these a little bit out of order. We're going to talk about love bears all things. We're going to save that for the, the last. And kind of get into how difficult it is because Paul is really raising the bar. I think if we had a sense of how high he's setting the bar, maybe we would never read this at weddings again. Maybe we would just read it at weddings all the time because we're like, this is what we want for you, but you can't accomplish it apart from Jesus Christ. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But Paul, as most of the New Testament writers do, had this need to choose a word to capture the unique essence of the kind of love that is in Jesus Christ. It's a unique kind of love. They had a number of words in the Greek language that they could go and grab hold of and bring into their 
defining or redefining love in light of Christ Jesus and him crucified. And so they go to the least used word in their culture for love and they grab hold of it because what they're trying to do is they're saying, look, we need to pack, repack the definition of love so that it is full of the gospel. Because this is what God in his love for his people has done. He's gone out and he's loved the unlovely. He's gone out and Jesus gave out of love, gave himself for the sake of his people. While we were yet his enemies, God demonstrated his love. Love works. He demonstrated his love to us in this. Christ gave himself up as the wrath-atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so they grab hold of the Greek word agape. That was very, it's, it's used all the time today. You might be familiar with it. But in that day and age, it was the least used word for love. And they're packing it. Now, I actually prefer the old King James translation of this word, which translates it as charity. Because love is just so almost tepid and meaningless. It's so used in so many different ways. But when you latch on to something like charity you have in your mind, this, this has got to be something different. There's something different in this kind of love. One of the scholars on 1 Corinthians 13, one of the great scholars of the New Testament says this, where the highest concept of love before the gospel, before Jesus came on the scene, the best that we could think of was that love was for the best ones. We looked up to, we adored, we cherished those who were the best ones. We might see this, a manifestation of this in our sense of celebrity culture today. I love you, you might say to a celebrity the first time you see them. You know nothing about them, but they are up there. They are the best ones. They are the esteemed ones. And so your heart moves up. But he says this, the Christians thought of love not that way, but as a quality we've seen on the cross. It proceeds from a God who is love. It moves out to the utterly unworthy. It is a love lavished on others without a thought to whether they're worthy or not. The Christian who has experienced God's love for him while he is yet a sinner has been transformed by that experience. By love not moving up to the esteem but moving down from the throne of grace into our lives. So gospel love demands that in our interaction with each other. We move out of that kind of love that is found in Christ to assume the best about each other. Love or charity. And this is, again, why I prefer. I really wish we would adopt this again. Love, charity, this kind of love, gospel-shaped love, believes the best about each other. It believes all things. Love Believes all things. Now, Paul here uses the same word for believes, all things. Believes is the same word from which we get faith. It's entrusting to the care of another. It's believing not by what we see, by but what is unseen. The word that he uses in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And in that sense, this is what it means to be saved. You've 
You've believed what is unseen, what God has said. You've believed to be the most true. Not what you've seen in your own life, but what God has said about what he's done in Christ. And you've entrusted yourself to the care of Jesus. And now then, because of the gospel, to believe all things within the people of God, his church, means that in my interaction with you, I will implicitly trust you. That's what love does. It implicitly trusts. Not necessarily because you're trustworthy or I'm trustworthy. For some of you, the moment I said that, the hair on the back of your head began to stick up because that is a very dangerous proposition to entrust yourself to another to believe all things. Not because you're trustworthy, but because God is trustworthy and he has secured me through the cross of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am free to risk all things by believing all things about you. A few years ago in Fort Worth, Texas, they had a problem with, this is how long ago, with iPods in Target stores. Students' iPods were a thing that were a long time ago. You may have read about them in your history books. What was going on was that, um, some of you may remember this story, a mother had bought an iPod Touch for her daughter's 14th birthday, and and the kid, just full of joy, opened it up um, and found that it had a bunch of rocks inside. Someone had weighed out the exact weight of an iPod in rocks, taken the iPod out, put the rocks back in, shrunk wrapped it, sold it to Target. She returned to get a new one. She opened it, got home, her father full of joy, found the same thing. Drove 20 miles west to another Target store, and by the time she got there, she was a little skeptical, as you can imagine. But there was still hope on her face. She was now far enough away from the original problem that she was going to get it right this time. Bought it, took it home, daughter unwrapped it, same thing. And so the saying goes, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on You fool me three times and I'm the fool. All the stores around Fort Worth were full of iPod touch boxes full of rocks. And so everyone became skeptical every time they went to buy one off of the shelf. And I think that's the way we approach our relationships with each other. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me three times and I'm the fool. It's just so easy for us to become cynical. We begin to anticipate people's reactions. I call, I call this getting pre-mad. We start thinking about how the conversation's going to play out. We anticipate what someone's going to say. Then we form the argument in our own head. Then we think about how they might respond. And then we get angrier in our rebuttal. And now we're all worked up based on simply an imaginary conversation that's going on in our own head. It's if-then love. That means that you're always on probation. I won't try, I'm going to assume the best, I'm not going to assume the best, I'm going to assume the worst about you because I've been burned enough times and worse than that, that if Len loves means that you are always on probation 
And instead of reminding you that God already approves of you in Christ, I've stood back and said, you've got to prove yourself before I will ever approve of you. But that's not charity. That's not love. Gospel-shaped love believes all things. Not because that person is trustworthy, but because God is trustworthy and secured me forever in his love in Christ. Therefore, I can risk in every single conversation believing all things, believing the best about you. Every single interaction is not, I'm going to open rocks this time, but there is going to be a glorious iPod in there. Then you get let down, well, there were rocks again. But next time, just constantly enters into every conversation, and there's a reason for that, and that's this, that love believes all things. It hopes all things. It carries a sense that hopes all things. It carries a sense of gospel expectation. It refuses to take your past failures as the future reality. It trusts that God's at work in the lives of his people. And therefore there is a tremendous possibility for change in anyone's life. Whatever comes next you think. Well, God is at work in hidden ways in this person's life because he's promised to never leave us alone. He's always at work changing the lives of his people so that when you come to faith in Jesus for the first time, he says, behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. This is new creation. I'm at work. This one's united to my son who's been raised from the dead. I've been given his spirit. And so it believes all things. Now, hope and faith are often linked together. This is verse 13. They're often linked together throughout the Bible. First in our relationship to God. Hope. Faith. To go outside of ourselves to the finished work of Jesus Christ. The present reality won't be our future reality. Because Jesus has entered the heavenly places. He's taken us with there with him. So set your minds on the things above where Christ is seated in you with him. Faith hopes. But you see what Paul is doing now in verse 13. Because love believes all things. He has now tied those two things together in our relationship with each other. Faith. Hope, love, abide. Calvin makes this observation. <laughs> Just cuts right to the heart. He says it's, it's better to be fooled while trying to be kind and good-natured than to cause harm through ill-founded suspicion. If you're going to err, the gospel says err on the side of believing the best about each other. That puts the risk on you, not on them. Because this is what love does. Love absorbs evil and returns blessing. It bears all things. Here's an interesting thing. If love bears all things... If you pick up any commentary on the Ten Commandments, eventually almost every single author will go from the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder, 
and almost immediately hyperlink to 1 Corinthians 13. Because it's not simply enough not to murder, the opposite of murder, to take sin off and put on righteousness, to put on love. Not just don't destroy each other, but work out of love for the prosperity of each other. Hyperlinks back. I'm out for your good. Not just bearing all things, but I'm absorbing in my bearing of all things and then return. This is what the gospel does. Return to evil. God is patient and he's kind. And he doesn't return to us what our sins deserve. He's holding back, even if your faith is not in Christ, he's holding back his wrath so that you could come to faith and repentance and be saved and become one of his children. He literally bears in every single one of our lives, patiently bears all things. And that has to then manifest. Let me meddle a little bit more. If I haven't meddled enough, let me meddle a little bit more. Because where the Bible often takes the application of this is to our tongues. Because the use of our tongues is that part of the body that has the ability to do the most damage, but also the most good. As the Proverbs say, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That's, that, that is in part what it looks to bear all things. I do not have to tell you all that you have done wrong. Because God has not told me all that I have done wrong. He has borne all things. And so love restrains our lips. The lips of the righteous. As a result, feed many. But the fool dies for lack of sense. And then for people like me, there's even hope. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. There's a, a sense of restraint that goes in, not just, to, not just to protect me, but maybe to protect you from what is naturally in my own heart as I am working to bear all things. Love is patient and kind. And therefore, not only is it patient and kind in the way we speak to each other, but it's also patient and kind the way we speak about each other. Consider here what James says. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because I want to protect your reputation. I'm working to give you the benefit of the doubt, and that doesn't come naturally, and so I want to be slow to speak and quick to listen, because I don't want to, I want to ruin your reputation. It's interesting, when we'll get to the sixth commandment in our shorter catechism, one of the applications of you shall not murder is you guard the reputation of others. So how do we get there? Well, we have to reverse here. We have to reverse the natural direction of our hearts because our natural tendency is to scrutinize others and be gracious to ourselves. And if love overlooks a multitude of sins, we are so in love with ourselves that we find it easy to overlook a multitude of sins within ourselves. One writer puts it, exalting ourselves by disparaging others is a cheap way of attaining moral superiority. How do we get there? 
we have to treat ourselves almost like an Olympic athlete. You see what an Olympic athlete does is an Olympic athlete in performance submits themselves to judges who would score them. But if those athletes are wise before they get to that final judgment, they have submitted themselves to a great deal of self-scrutiny before they ever go out and perform their routine. They would be considered fools if they're just scrutinizing others around them and not scrutinizing and critiquing their selves. They would be fools to hide their flaws and just simply notice the flaws of their competitors. And so the one who loves his people gives us then the freedom to look inwardly and scrutinize yourself. This is what the gospel does. Whatever is, whatever, this is one of the reasons we do a confession of sin every week. Because it's to remind us. Uh, what you see on the inside of you, God's not surprised by. You maybe get surprised by. You're like, gosh, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that was there. God's like, oh, I did. And I chose you in love before the foundation of the world. I knew that was there. And I gave up my son in love for you. I knew that was there and it provoked my wrath. And so I was compelled to send forth my own son who would hang on the cross as I poured out your wrath on him in love. I knew that was there. And I still knew that was there after I took you to be my own. And I knew that was there when I secured your future home for you. I knew that was there when I brought you into my family. I knew that was there when I gave you my spirit who would take you into the depths of my love so that you might know the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of the love of God so that it would surpass your understanding. I knew that was there when my son said, this is the reason I've come so that just as the father loved me with these eternal overflowing delight, that's how I will love you. And that one then says to us, that Jesus then says to us, judge not that you would be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, it'll be judged to you. And with the measure, it'll be measured to you. In other words, if you're going to be quick to judge others and slow to judge yourself, then beware. For the God who loves you will also discipline you. But if you flip that on its head and be slow to judge others and quick to judge yourself, then know this, God draws near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Love hopes all things, believes all things, bears all things. Because love never ends. Never ends. If you're in Christ, you've had this experience. It's, there's often momentary and fleeting experiences, but it's a, it's a small taste of the love that God has for you in Christ. It's given by His Spirit. It's one of the things that Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He's given His Spirit so that He would teach your spirit to cry out, 
Abba, Father, tasting the goodness of God. And you've had those fleeting experiences. And it so radically transforms any circumstance that you find yourself in. That you are literally able to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things. Paul says that. That's like looking in a, a, a mirror just in the dim light. But what you've tasted in that will be what you will experience for all eternity. Because love never ends. Everything else that you may be striving after, even in your life in Christ, that's just partial, it's momentary, it will pass away. But this will not love. Never ends. Marines, years ago, were sent to Haiti to perform relief efforts. And this is what they said. It's so encouraging to be there. This is post-hurricane, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, where gang violence is rampant, where almost every relief supply was taken up by those who meant to do evil, hoard it, and then make a ton of money off it, while orphans and widows were perishing from hunger. And the Marines were like, hey, this is really encouraging work. Because they had left fighting in Afghanistan. They were being shot at, experiencing IEDs, They were in such a broken situation and the needs were overwhelming to them that they didn't get discouraged because they had been in much worse fights and now we're able to look at this situation and say, "Uh, this is good. I'm able to deliver hope here. They said, that's the posture that really moves us inside and says, what, the problem is not out there with the people in my life, I have done the work inside, and what I have seen inside is so awful that I am convinced that no one could possibly ever draw near and have anything to do with me, but God in Christ has met me there and seen me at my worst and loved me with his best. And then I can go outside of myself That won't end. No one can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ because it didn't find me at my best and so it won't dismiss me at my worst. No one can separate me from the love, not Satan with his accusations. No one can separate, not my sufferings or my trials. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ because the love of God in Christ never ends can't send my way out of it, can't disappoint my father who's patient and kind. Love never ends. And that's the way the gospel repolarizes us. It gives us this fast, deep well of unfathomable, unexplorable, unplumbable depths that for all eternity we will never reach the end of exploring the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That love never ends. And then when I draw out of that, I'm able to see in our relationship with each other, love bears all things. 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wouldn't you like to be in a community like that? It's so countercultural in the world that we live in, where the smallest error gets you canceled. But instead, a community of grace that risks everything for the sake of our relationships with others. That's why we come to this table. Because this is a table where this love is on display for us. And as it's on display, we proclaim it, but we're also empowered by it. So let's come and feast. Will you pray with me? Lord, we um, are so deeply broken in ourselves. There is no fountain of love within us except for this. The spirit of love that has come from the Father's side through the Son of love has given us the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And so we pray.